All right, we're back for another episode of Park View in Pod. Tannen, how do you feel about that that title, Park View in Pod? I like it. That's very clever. <laughs> Who came I sent a few to the bishop, and that's the one he picked. So if if people don't like it, uh, they can talk to him, uh, along with the other stuff that they probably want to talk to him about. <laughs> I feel like it has to have some background, though, that people have to know about Park View in print. That's right. Is that just Parkview and Print is just a Facebook group, right? Or is there more to it? It's just the Facebook, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh, on this podcast, this is where we record living histories from members of the Parkview Ward in Stansbury Park. And uh, today we're uh, we're diving into our the, the life and background of our Elders Corn president, Tannen Newland. Are uh, you ready for this? I'm ready. I guess All right, I well, waited my whole life for this. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> so where to begin? Let's go back to the beginning. Were you born in a barn, in a in a hospital, or or in your living room? Hospital. Oh, born good. Where at? Utah. Um, Salt Lake was the hospital, but grew up in West Jordan. Parents still live there in the same family house. Went to Jordan nice. High School. So, nice. Yeah. And so you're a Utah boy through and through? Through and through. Very nice. <laughs> and uh, what uh, what was your upbringing like? Like how would you how you how would you describe it? Amazing family. I've got uh, literal saints for parents. Um, I've met your dad. He seems pretty awesome. Yeah, they walk on water. Um, just a typical, I guess, normal upbringing, very, uh, gospel oriented. Mm -hmm. My mom is very devout. She used to sing in the tabernacle choir. Wow. Back when it was called the Mormon tabernacle choir. (laughs) That's right. Very talented musical abilities. And she also sews. So now, even though she's not singing with the Tabernacle Choir, she does part of their wardrobe. She's there Mm -hmm. twice a week all the time helping out with the wardrobe. Nice. Yeah. So, great. And then how how many siblings did you have? Or do you have? I've got two brothers, two sisters. So I've got an older sister who passed away when I was in fourth grade. And then I've got an older sister who's still alive. She's in Midvale. An older brother who's in uh, Rose Park. And then I'm the fourth of the five kids. I've got a younger brother. He's in Salt Lake. So we're all here in Utah still. Wow. Can we? Can you just mention that you've you've told me the story about your sister's tragic death? Uh, can we go into that? I mean, it's such a just a remarkable story, but so tragic tra- tragic at the same time. Yeah. So my older sister is a little bit older than me. Um, I was in fourth grade, and she was uh, early twenties, I believe. She had always wanted to be a flight attendant, and so she became a flight attendant. She got married, um, doing the flight attendant thing, and then a week or two prior to her one-year anniversary of being married, she was in a plane accident, no survivors, and 
for a wow. while, they had no idea what caused that plane crash. And I thought that was kind of normal when a plane crashed that you didn't know why it happened and found out afterwards that, no, it's pretty rare. They almost always know a reason. And for decades, I want to say, they had no idea what caused it. But I think more recently they had figured out there was some malfunction with part of a rudder or something and happened to another similar plane. Man. Yeah. And and that was like, I mean, this is a commercial flight, right? Like usually plane crashes you hear about somebody's, you know, prop plane that, that goes down, right? But this was a commercial flight. Yeah, this was United flight. I don't remember the number. but Yeah. Colorado. And so this was in the 90s, would you say? Or yeah, late 91. 80s? 91. 91. Wow. And was it a flight, was it bound for Salt Lake or? No, it was bound, I believe it was bound for Colorado Springs. I can't remember where it was coming out of. She wasn't based out of Salt Lake. Hmm. She would fly all over. Um, and they were, yeah. her and her husband weren't living in Utah at the time. Either, so. Yeah. So was that like a, a snapshot moment in your life? Like, how did your family deal with that? Or what do you remember from just that time of your family going through that grieving? And I mean, so sudden and for someone so young. Yeah, so I remember it vividly. It happened on a Sunday, so I remember coming home from church, and my aunt was there, and my sister had nannied for her uh, previously, and so they were close. And on the phone, uh, of course, this was back in the days of landlines and no internet, and so information mm -hmm. was a little slower to get. And so they were still trying to figure out. They knew there was a crash and didn't know all the details. And so I remember it being a weird Sunday afternoon, just kind of not knowing what's going on. I think my parents kind of sheltered us a little bit from that information as they were trying to figure out what was happening, what was going on, the details. Hmm. But yeah, I remember it vividly. I remember being very, very hard for my mother, of course. Um, super difficult to lose a child. Yeah. So unexpectedly. But yeah, I remember the ward gathering around and the Relief Society helping out, offering meals and taking care of us and making sure we were doing okay. And people from the ward stopping by all that evening and throughout the next week and just hmm. really felt a lot of love and support from neighbors and ward members. Wow. How would you, how would you describe just in those childhood or maybe teenage years, like just your own personal faith development? Um, yeah. So I guess early on you kind of get a glimpse of the mortality of life and I I've known some people that are practically adults and they haven't even lost a grandparent right yeah just knowing early on that life is limited it's none of us get out alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> we all have our time and 
kind of solidifying the the gospel message of eternal families. That was huge, kind of hitting that home. It's easy to talk about eternal families and think about it, but when you, you lose a close sibling or loved one, then you really start to look at that more. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, youth lessons probably were a little more tangible for you, right? Yeah. When you talk about those doctrines. Yeah, exactly. Eternal families and life after death. So, yeah. So growing up, was it hard for you to embrace sort of a testimony or what, does it just naturally come? Or have you, can you, do you just always remember believing or? Um, believing, yes. I remember having Sunday school lessons and the teachers are like, oh, this is a testimony and this is how you get it. You read your scriptures and you pray and you'll feel the Holy Ghost and I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I always believed and wanted to know of truthfulness, but when I would read scriptures and pray, I never got what I guess I wanted as far as a confirmation from the Holy Ghost. And looking back, probably was there. Like, I felt fine. I didn't feel... Uh, stupor of thought i didn't feel bad when i prayed about knowing if the book of mormon is true if joseph smith's a real prophet stuff like that so i guess i kind of got an answer there but i didn't get that powerful manifestation of the spirit letting me know that's true and it was always kind of frustrating because i'd see other people and they'd, they'd i remember one time specifically in uh youth Sunday school class and the teachers are like hey we want everyone to bear their testimony and everyone in the class got up and I know the church is true and I know that Jesus lives and I love my mom and dad all that stuff and I I didn't it wasn't mandatory they didn't make us but everyone in the class got up and I didn't because I didn't know it was true I believed it was true and I wanted it to be true, but I couldn't in good conscience get up and say, I know it's true. So I didn't. And so that was always a challenge and kind of embarrassing to say I'm a late bloomer. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) Mission. I, my older brother served a mission. My dad served a mission. My older sister served a mission. So, and I always wanted to serve a mission. And so I get on my mission and I still have not had this, powerful witness from the Holy Ghost letting me know these things are true, which was frustrating. I, I believe in faking it till you make it, but I would have hoped I would make it by my mission. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then we're supposed to teach people and testify. And I was really struggling because I couldn't go out and tell people I know this is true because I hadn't got that And so I remember pleading in the temple. We got to go to the temple in the MTC and just pleading, thinking, hey, if I'm going to do this, I need to know. I need to have a witness for sure, more than just a, a decent feeling and a hope 
if I'm going to tell other people. So uh, go back to the MTC and we've got classes and, and of all things, we had a substitute teacher in one of my classes and I served my mission in Haiti. We had to learn French and Haitian Creole and this substitute teacher was not a French speaker, didn't speak Haitian Creole. So they couldn't teach us language, but he defaulted to what he did know, and he taught us how to testify about the prophet Joseph Smith. And so, interestingly, he was testifying, teaching us how to testify of the prophet Joseph Smith. And um, I've heard it described as sometimes revelation can be like uh pure knowledge flowing into your mind. And in this particular instance, and I'd heard the first vision story hundreds of times previous to this, but there in the MTC with a substitute teacher going over the first vision and testifying of that, I finally got that witness that I'd been waiting for. Hmm was undeniable and I knew for sure that what he was saying was true. So. Wow. Very and that great. propelled you off into your mission, right? Yeah. Never looked back. Nice. <laughs> um, and I mean, just with your faith journey, I mean, has it been ever since then, it's just been, it's been there and you've been able to, to, uh, navigate your faith with, with some level of, uh, Certitude or? Uh, kind of. That that seems very condensed down. But <laughs> in a way, yeah. I've always had that as something to, to as a rock, as a foundation. Because yeah. there have been questions and there have been doubts and there have been challenges. But I could always say that I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Thereby, I know that the book that he translated and brought about, the Book of Mormon, is a true book. And I know that it teaches uh, of our Savior Jesus Christ, that it's a, another witness of Jesus Christ. And so yeah, I've all, thankfully always had that to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to your, uh, your developmental years. Um, what did you, if, if someone was to ask you back when you were maybe a teenager, what you wanted to be when you grew up, uh, what did you respond? I think my default answer was a fireman. Oh, nice. I don't know. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking MBA or no, it wasn't. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I thought a fireman would be cool. I never really had real big aspirations. I'm just kind of a go with the flow guy. So whatever. Uh -huh. My dad's military. So I thought I might do the military route once upon a time. But yeah, I didn't have anything for sure. Even when I said fireman, it's because I thought it would be cool, but I wasn't dead mm -hmm. set on that. Yeah. And where'd you go to high school? West Jordan High. Okay, West Jordan. And uh, so graduated high school, and then it was pretty clear that the mission was in your future, and that was sort of the next step? Yeah, barely graduated high school. 
And oh, really? Was, yeah. I was not a good student. Uh, Why was that? What do you think? Love school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how public this gets, but my older brother actually, <laughs> I don't want, I don't know. I don't want him to, I don't think mind me saying he didn't graduate okay. high school. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Just, it wasn't a priority. My older brother is brilliant. He's super smart. I love him to death. Uh, he just didn't apply himself and didn't graduate high school. And he did want to serve a mission. And so we had a bishop and was like, you're not serving a mission unless you like get your GED or something. So he <laughs> did end up getting his GED and going on a mission. Wow. But um, yeah, it just wasn't a huge priority. I didn't love school. I liked certain aspects of it but my favorite classes were like wood shop and ceramics and auto class and stuff like that so i i yeah. love the academic side of it where yeah. not much was expected of me not much was put forth there so yeah i graduated <laughs> high school served a mission so, so what uh let me ask about just those high schoolers like what defined you were you that you were you the the jock or the <laughs> the emo i mean what was it <laughs> uh, uh the nothing really yeah? yeah you just went with the flow like you said yeah. you're just yeah i just tried to stay average and and yeah nice. i wasn't big into sports i was not emo <laughs> yeah just me <laughs> yeah well, cool. That's fine, right? And so, did you do any any college before your mission, or was it just right on to your oh, mission? Heavens, no. <laughs> and that wasn't even like was that even in the plan? I had no desire for college. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Nice. So went on my mission, and that's what changed everything for me. So, mm. if I could ascribe like one single event and i guess a mission's not a single event it's two years of many events but yeah it's one choice i guess right yeah that changed me more than anything else had previously wow. so like i said i got called to serve in haiti it's the poorest country in the western hemisphere and just ridiculously poor my grandparents lived in San Diego. My dad was, he grew up in San Diego. So we'd go down to San Diego quite often. When we'd go to San Diego, we'd go visit Tijuana, Mexico. And there's poverty there, but nothing like Haiti. Haiti was next level poor. And so I met a lot of great people, wonderful people, and they had to work for everything. There was no free education. If they wanted to go to school, the family had to sacrifice considerably to send hmm. a, even just one of their kids to school. They had to wear uniforms. It was very strict. And so I kind of looked at that and thought, wow, I'm a bit of a tool. I had all <laughs> this free education. I didn't take advantage of it. Just kind of a doofus. And there's these people here who would love to go to school 
they'd sacrifice anything and do anything to go to school. And so it really changed me and kind of yeah. gained an appreciation for education. Did, does your mind go back to an instance or a moment or an individual that you interact with that really uh, shaped that? Or was it just from like day one, just being in that poverty? Yeah, probably not day one, but it wasn't a single person or a single event, just a culmination of seeing everyone in the country struggling for everything. Um, here I'd grown up being given everything. My family wasn't wealthy, but we were never for want. Hmm. And everyone in Haiti, it's just a struggle to eat, to survive yeah yeah were they pretty receptive to the gospel being oh, in those humble circumstances 100 percent. yeah very christian country um and not a whole lot of employment so people had a lot of free time so yeah people would love talking about jesus they had all the time in the world so we were very busy i remember specifically and i feel bad sharing this story because I know there's missionaries like in Europe who would have died for this. <laughs> right. I remember one time we're busy, we're heading from one appointment to another and someone on the street yells out at us, Hey missionaries, I've heard of you guys come teach me about your church. And we're like, come to church and we'll make an appointment and kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People you don't have time to waste, right? Yeah, asking, begging on the streets for us to teach them. And we're like, come to church and we'll set up an appointment. Wow. So, yeah, we were did very, they, did, very busy. Did they come to church? or? It's funny, another mission story. My first companion, one of the hardest workers, one of the most faithful people you can imagine. In fact, just years after, he got called to be the mission president for Haiti. So, Oh, my goodness. In his 20s, he was mission president for the country. Wow. wow. So super hard worker, great guy. I love him to death. Um, but, yeah, we worked super hard. We'd uh, wait for kind of like a taxi on the street corner to take us to our appointments. And while we were waiting, we would talk to everyone and invite everyone to church. And everyone we asked would be like, yeah, I'll be there. So my first day of doing that, I was like, whoa, this is incredible. We're going to have like hundreds of people at church because they all <laughs> said they were going to come. And yeah, we'd get maybe three. Oh, wow. So they would come, but not as many as we invited, yeah. not as many as... But Said they yeah, but maybe a, a decent strategy to sort of narrow down who was serious about, about yeah, learning, right? <laughs> exactly. We could waste a lot of time teaching everyone because people had free time and they loved talking about Jesus. So, yeah, if people came to church, it showed some level of commitment and then we could take it from there. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of our strategy. You know, I remember as a, as a missionary just, you know, having a life uh, years and years before just hearing about all these positive, exciting missionary opportunities and then being on the mission and realizing, you know, most of the time you're, you're bored and discouraged and, and it's just sort of, it's just hard work. Right. And so, I mean, what was the, 
what what was the struggle of the mission look like for you? So there was some homesickness, but it wasn't too bad. There mm-hmm. was culture shock, but I liked it. It was like a two year camp trip. A lot of the times, <laughs> wow. most of the times we didn't have electricity, um, refrigeration. But I love the people, my mission presidents, amazing people, great companions. So, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really that much of a struggle. I remember, and maybe it's just looking back with rose-colored glasses, but I remember it being just another day in paradise every day, just amazing. That's cool. Nice. Uh, and do you have any any connection to the Haitian people still, or maybe companions or people you baptized? Or unfortunately, I'm not real great at staying in touch. Uh, I do have a really dear friend. Uh, we were actually never companions, but we were together a lot um, in the same house in the office, stuff like that. And so I've stayed in touch with him, and by stayed in touch, like. I don't know. We talk maybe twice a year at most. Hmm, cool. Um, I've been back to Haiti since then. Um, done some dentistry over there, some humanitarian stuff, and wow, stopped at a resort on a cruise, which isn't real Haiti, but <laughs> right. I don't, I don't have a great connection with Haiti anymore either unfortunately yeah is as uh going back there for dental work something you want to continue to do in the future or is it maybe more complicated than than it sounds yeah so i really loved it it was a goal of mine to go back after my mission and it was 20 years later when i finally did go back but once i did go back then i went like three times in two years oh cool and nice. so, yeah, I'd love to continue doing that. I don't know the the organization that I went with is probably not going to be doing that anytime soon. Hmm. Uh, COVID kind of shut a lot of stuff down, but then also there's been considerable political unrest. Yeah. There were some missionaries, when I say missionaries, like Christian missionaries that were abducted there in the past couple of years. And so, yeah, I've heard it's quite dangerous now. I mean, that for whatever reason, Haiti's just, and even to the point I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the church doesn't send any non-natives to Haiti, right? They're all just Haitians that, that so serve there. Last time I was there, we went to a church and yeah, I thought that it was all Haitians, but I met some missionaries that were there from South America. There oh, okay. No North American missionaries there. Gotcha. So it's always gotcha. been a little bit of a sketchy place. Missionaries have been in and out of there for a while. When I was there, there were no sister missionaries from North America. There were Haitian sister missionaries, but there were no mm-hmm. American or Canadian sister missionaries. I never felt endangered there, even though maybe I should have. It always felt safe. Um, there were sections where we weren't allowed to go. We had to be home by dark. So we were done at like seven o'clock every night. Oh, wow. But I think it's gotten worse 
it's true after my mission. I don't know how many years after, but they stopped sending American and Canadian elders over there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anything else about your mission that would be worth mentioning before we move on or is that, uh, that I sums could, it up pretty well? I could talk about my mission forever. I, I loved it. Like I said, if there was one thing that changed my life for the better, it would be my mission. Yeah. I'll well, go. look forward to look forward to Tannen's uh, ten part series on Haiti uh, yeah. coming on the podcast. That's right. <laughs> You'll love it. You'll love it. So. You're so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, talk to me about like so you really had a transformational experience. Maybe had a new outlook on life um, coming home. So was it like near the end of your mission where you're like, all right, I'm jumping back into school? Or I mean, how, how did that? Uh, what did that actually look like? Um, or what was the attitude now that you were coming home and getting back to real life? Yeah. So that kind of was the attitude is like, Hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to go to school. I don't know that I still knew what I wanted to be at that point, but I knew that I did want to go to school and get more education. So Mm -hmm. I came back and I, I love, the warmer climates, the tropical climates. So I applied to BYU Hawaii and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I didn't get into BYU Hawaii. Um, I've heard that maybe it's kind of difficult to get into BYU Hawaii in the first place, but then with my high school transcripts, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Hey, I was was right there with you. I I was rejected three times from BYU, so we're... (laughs) You're in good company. I so. had no interest in going to BYU Provo. And I think, I can't remember at the time what BYU Idaho, if it was BYU Idaho, I don't know when that switched over, but I had no interest in going there. I just wanted to go to BYU Hawaii. And in retrospect, it's probably a great blessing because I would probably still be in Hawaii and have no degree <laughs> and be the world's best slacker. Nice. So where'd you end up going? So I went to Salt Lake Community College. Nice. There, only place that would take me probably. Yeah, got to get those that transcript in line, right? Yeah, but it was destiny. I met my wife there in math class. Wow. I've got my best friend from high school. Um kind of signed me up for all my classes and his classes doing generals and he got me into school. I had the desire, but maybe I didn't act on it until he got off his mission after I did and signed me up for classes and said, Hey, we're going. So So he gets all the credit, I guess. Yeah. Even though I had the desire, I I didn't follow through (laughs) after my rejection. Yeah. So yeah, (laughs) Went to Salt Lake Community College, met my wife there, and we do say it's destiny because she probably shouldn't have been going there. Her dad worked for the U. He's an optometrist and worked for part of the U. So he got half price tuition. She would have been paying about the same as going to the community college, but going to the U. She's from Kaysville, and I think she always wanted to go to Weber because it was closer. So I don't know why she ended up at Salt Lake Community College, but she did, and we met there. So Awesome. 
Um, and anything, I mean, pretty, pretty typical courting situation or, I mean, anything worth mentioning as far as the, you know, meeting and, uh, any, any stories or things behind that? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> my buddy and I had the same class. He signed me up for all my classes and we walk into this class and we both noticed my wife and thought she was cute. And so we take turns sitting by her <laughs> the other day. <laughs> nice. But, um, yeah, I ended up asking her out and going on some dates and she had a missionary at the time. And oh so boy. I respected that. I had a friend on my mission who had a girlfriend and, someone swooped in and stole away his girlfriend while he was serving the Lord. And I thought that was a bad move. And so I never wanted to be the guy that did that. So when I started dating my wife, it was always like, yeah, you've got this missionary and I'm not going to propose or marry you or anything until after he gets back and you guys figure things out. So kind of planned on that. And I think he had just barely gone out, so. Oh, wow. So I guess I planned on dating her for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, you you started asking her out, even though she had this missionary, but uh, you were trying to play it cool, you know, you weren't necessarily wanting yeah. to swoop in there. Yeah, so I enjoyed her company. We had fun hanging out. We liked a lot of the same things, being outdoors and we went snowboarding as one of our first dates, if not our first date, mm -hmm. hang out. So I really liked her, but yeah, I just knew that I wasn't going to get super serious because she had this pretty serious missionary boyfriend. Yeah. So, I mean, was there like a, a conversation or a date that's like, all right, me or him, who's it going to be? <laughs> no, I, I never wanted to do that until the time came i guess yeah so sure enough we dated until he came back and and said hey go and date him and figure it out and so she did and they dated a little bit and she decided that wasn't right and so we continued to date but by this point i had been in the rut of she's my girlfriend but we're not going to get married so uh -huh. So, yeah, we had a long courtship, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And <laughs> was it uh, too long for her, too long for you, or, or yeah, just right? Or? Finally, she was like, um, well, if we're not going to get married, then we're breaking up. And so she broke up with me. I was like, all right. And thought I'd be okay, but I wasn't and realized how much I missed her and loved her. And so then I got, I got my stuff together and got back with her and immediately proposed. Nice. Nice. And what year was that? That was, so I proposed December, 2005 and we got married March, 2006. Okay. Um, and at that point you'd been dating for a couple of years then. Yeah. Three, wow. three plus years, three years. Wow. 
Okay. So, I mean, you were, you were pretty certain that this was the direction you wanted to go then. <laughs> well, um, when we were dating, I, like I said, I kind of always thought maybe we'd get married, but I wasn't dating her to get married because there was always this missionary. So, And then I just got in that mindset until she broke up with me. And then when I realized, hey, I do want to marry her, then it was very quick after that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, hopefully at some point we'll get her side of the story. Maybe yeah, it's much I different. Feel, but, I feel uh, a little guilty saying that because she's not here. <laughs> right. There you rebuttal. go. That's right. Well, we'll, we'll get her. We'll we'll get her on the mic here. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Please do. <laughs> good, good. So, um, at what point did you think ah, dentistry? Yep, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I'm not sure. There was never a moment where I remember thinking that for sure. My first mission president was a dentist, but he was only my mission president for a day. So I didn't have much oh, wow. connection with him. Really strong influence there. I yeah. see. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. There's no dentist in my family. It wasn't like the family trade that got passed down, but I always liked working with my hands and I like my freedom time off. So I was under the impression that dentists didn't work a whole lot and they made a ton of money. So I was like, that's the profession for me. Ah, and it just fulfilled every, every uh, thought there, right? (laughs) I may not have been fully informed. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's too late now, man. Too late. (laughs) Oh, but I have enjoyed it. It's been a good profession. Awesome. So you, you, uh, went to Salt Lake Community College and then where'd you transfer to? Cause I, I don't think you can get a, a, a dentistry degree at Salt Lake Community College from what I hear. Maybe so. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. So I transferred <laughs> to the U after I did my generals and, um, my wife transferred to the U as well. We got married, moved to Salt Lake and, uh, finished up all my prerequisites finished up my degree and then Utah did not have a dental school at that time so I applied all over I really liked UNLV it was a newer school I had been there kind of checked it out really wanted to go there but I applied everywhere just to increase my chances of getting in somewhere and applied to Pittsburgh and went out there and interviewed and just really loved the city and the people and the school. So ended up going to Pittsburgh for dental school. Nice. So did that feel like a, like a family adventure? Did you have any kids at the time? or No kids at the time. Uh, it was a bit of an adventure, yeah. My wife is one of two kids, and she grew up in Kaysville. Her parents went to Davis High. Her grandparents went to Davis High. And so kind of steeped in this Davis tradition. Her parents still live in Kaysville. Her sister lives in Kaysville. And so for me to take her away to Pittsburgh was hard. Her family, especially her sister, was not a big fan of that. But it was like a temporary thing, right? I mean, they knew that. Yeah, we weren't. 100% sure that we'd be coming back to Utah, but that was always the oh, okay. plan. But yeah, we'd yeah. be back. Nice. 
And at this point, I mean, did you just sort of figure out the, uh, the student work ethic or, I mean, once you applied yourself, it came pretty easy or. Yeah. I have never loved school. I, like I said, I like doing something, working with my hands and I have a hard time staying awake. So sitting down in classes is difficult. If I'm not doing something, I tend to kind of zone out. So school was not easy for me, but I, yeah, I worked hard and studied and yeah. Yeah. And then what, what, uh, what year did you graduate uh, with, uh, with from dental school? 2013. Okay. And then at that point it was, uh, I mean, did you want to buy a practice or where did you want to jump into the, to the work field? Never wanted to buy a practice. Um, but I did want to work with, a family friend of my in-laws. So, my father-in-law's really good friend is a dentist, and I shadowed him before dental school when I knew that's what I wanted to do. I went and looked at what he did and took a class that required some internship-type stuff. And so I hung out at his office a lot and think the world of him. He's a fantastic dentist. He's a great guy, a mentor of mine. And so I kind of wanted to go and work with him after dental school, which I did. I went and worked with him, but we weren't, he wasn't busy enough to keep both of us busy full time. So I would go into his office a couple days a week. And then he said, find something else the other days. So I found out here in Tooele, the health department had a dental clinic and I would come out here one day a week. So I'd drive from Kaysville where I was living in my in-law's basement and I would come out here one day a week and do that. There were two other dentists at the clinic and they'd take the other days. One of those dentists started his own practice and got too busy to do both and the other one moved and so they came to me and said, hey, we can hire other dentists. You can continue coming one day a week or you can become full-time. And there were benefits to that. So I decided to do that, work for the county as a dentist and um, told this guy that I had planned to work with for forever that, that I had this opportunity. And he said, yeah, go for it. So that's how... I ended up in Tooele. Nice. And at that point is when you actually bought a house out here and moved moved out to Tooele County? Yeah. So when I was coming out here one day a week, it was a long drive, but it was just one day a week. But then when I was out here full time, we decided we were going to move out here. And my wife's got family in Stansbury Park. Um, her uncle and cousins, aunt and uncle and her cousins grew up out here. So she really liked it here and wanted to move here. So nice. And here you are for the next 40 years. Wow. We just, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. And cause working for the County now, cause this is, I think we've talked about it, that this is uh, like, if you work for the County so long, then they like, it helps with your student loans or something. Is that yeah, what you told me? It's a public service loan forgiveness program. 
that came about where, and it doesn't have to be county, but if you work for a nonprofit for 10 years, then you qualify for loan forgiveness. Oh, nice. I'm at like eight years full time. Oh, cool. A little over eight years. So do you uh, still no desire to buy your own practice like other foolish dentists? No. I have no (laughs) desire in the to be involved with the business aspect of dentistry. I like to show up, I like to do dentistry, and then I like to leave. Nice. Nice. (laughs) I want to deal with um, your firing or anything. Yeah. Yeah. No fun. No fun. Um what about what's the story behind you becoming the elders corn president? I don't know. You'd have to ask the stake president. That's <laughs> well, I mean, from your side of things, what? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't consider myself a leader by any means. I don't possess leadership qualities. I'm much better follower and I'd rather be told what to do than try and organize having people do stuff. But stake president asked if I'd be elders corn president and I said, yes. So here I am. Nice. And did that happen with uh, like the same time Bishop Pearson was called like with the ward split and everything? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in the bishopric of the other ward. I was first counselor in the bishopric. And I feel like that role suited me better because people kind of delegate more. Hey, Newland, do this. And, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and then, yeah, the time was coming to split. We were a large ward, and the bishop was moving back to Kanab where he was from. And so I knew changes were coming about. So it wasn't until right before it split that I found out that they wanted me to become elders quorum president. So it was the split there. It was March of 2020 when we split and became a new ward. And so we met one Sunday for a sacrament meeting, but we didn't have anyone called to calling. So it was just sacrament meeting. So there was no elders quorum, no Sunday school. And then that week, COVID hit officially. And so That's right. there was no elders quorum, no sacrament meeting, no second hour after that. So kind you of, took the next year off, right? Yeah. <laughs> Put on my PJs and never took them off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, anything else, like as far as, like what, what are the, like the little nuances we're missing about what describes Tannen? Like, uh, what's your ideal? I I know you're an outdoors guy, right? Yeah. And what's your ideal like activity? If you have a, an open Saturday with no restrictions, what are you doing? I like working on projects also, uh, woodworking or doing something with my hands, building something. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say my ideal Saturday, I wake up, I maybe go for a bike ride, uh, go mountain biking, come home, have a large breakfast I like to eat, (laughs) and then work on a project, 
and then I don't know, maybe we go out to dinner as a family and have some ice cream. That's a good love one. it. <laughs> yeah, a good way to end it right there. Yeah. So awesome. What well, any other story perspective um, that we that you, we missed that we need to squeeze in here before we wrap up, or do we get it? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, um, last question I have for you then is if, if we were to go a hundred years into the future and you had just, just a few minutes to send a message to your posterity, uh, what would you, what would you tell your posterity? You're not that special. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like sometimes people are, uh, telling everyone how special they are and everyone is special, but I feel like sometimes we use that as a crutch um, mm. that, oh, um, things are different now. It's a different time of the world. Technology's different, so that doesn't apply to me type thing. And when you read through the Book of Mormon and the Bible as well, People don't change a whole lot as far as like human nature. I feel like it's the same thing. The natural man's always going to be the natural man. And so I don't want my kids to think or my posterity to think that things are different for them, that, that they've got special circumstances. I want them to know that it's it's been this way. It'll probably be this way for a while and it's just how it is life's a challenge and there's different challenges in that but for everyone it's a challenge i think it was touched upon in last conference that yeah the pioneers had their challenge and i don't think that i would make a great pioneer but our challenges are different they're not necessarily easier or harder but they're different challenges and so there's always going to be the challenges and there's always going to be the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus Christ and become more like him or the opportunity not to. And, and I guess my intro with you're not that special is just to kind of grab their attention. But, but really, it's not that different just because you're in the future or things are more technologically advanced. It's still the same thing. There's still going to be the natural man. There's still going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's still going to be that choice to put off the natural man and to choose to become reborn through Christ and become better. So 